let's jump back in. Hopefully that was a chance for the kids to just get their wiggles out and be ready to listen. We're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians 2. Before I do, I, I try every week to give us a little bit of an update. As you heard Pastor AJ say, we're still going to be closed for a little bit and, and not have our ministries with the exception of Second Harvest this week. And we've been in, we've been working with Second Harvest. We've been working with some of the state guidelines and the federal guidelines to see what we can and can't do. And actually the state has asked for food distributions to continue if possible because our heart is we want to minister to people. We want to minister to our community, show them that Jesus loves them. And so if we can do that within guidelines and in a safe way, not to put anyone at risk, we're going to do that. And so I'll give some information about that. We'll have people come in shifts to put together food and we'll hand out food in a very different way so that way there's not the exposure and and people right next to each other. But please be part of that this coming weekend. It is Easter this next weekend and Easter is not canceled, but that is the name of my my sermon for next week is canceled. So um, when you see canceled, don't assume our service is canceled. That's um, the name of our sermon for next week as we come together. One other thing that I put on, on our Rooted Online, and I've mentioned in some correspondence, and we're stealing this from women's ministry, is the 113 idea, which they got from a pastor, I think, in South Korea. And, and it's a way of how we can connect, um, even during this time. And the 113 is, the first one is every day. So every one day, every day. And then the second one, connect with at least one person. And that could be a card, it could be an email, it could be a phone call, it could be FaceTime, but connect with one person and make it a different person every day. You can't just every day look at your spouse and say, okay, that one's done. Uh, No, make it someone outside of your household and let's be intentional as a body to connect with each other. And then the three is pray for at least three people every day. Use your church directory. One of the one of the things that we as an elder board do is we go through the directory and, and we pray for you each month to make sure that we are, are not missing anyone and praying through everyone. And so we just take a section of the directory. You could do that every day. Take three out of the directory and just pray for people. And, and let's connect and keep connecting in that way. It's hard. I, we're, we're three weeks in now of online services and... And now it's, it's, at first the novelty kept you going and now it's like, man, I really miss seeing all your faces here. I, I, I can walk through and I know where people sit because we are creatures of habit and I can pray for you, but, but I just would love to see you, but we can't right now. And so we want to find ways to still be the church because we still are the church and find ways of, of connecting, encouraging one another and living out our faith in community still, even though we're isolated. Today we want to talk a little bit about responses and how we respond to things around us, how we respond to God's Word. But response is everything, right? For those of you parents, and I know a lot of you are suddenly in some ways teaching at home, right? Those of you with kids, and whether it's homeschooling or whether it's just facilitating the the lesson plans of teachers, suddenly you have eight hours a day with with students that may or may not be very responsive. And those days can look very different, right? If the student is like, I hate this, this is dumb, I can't believe we're doing this. If that is the attitude that we go into it with, the days are long and torturous, right? Because our attitude of response makes a difference in how the the task goes. It makes a difference in how much we learn. If the attitude is, okay, let's do this, let's get it done, 
it's amazing how quickly we can get all the work done. How much more we bring in from the teacher, whether that's mom or dad, or whether that's a teacher on Zoom or whatever it is, when we have the right attitude, when we have an attitude of responsiveness, it makes all the difference in the world. When we can be open to learning, and spiritually, when we can be open to learning what God has through difficulties, our response and our attitude matters. And it really helps define whether we're acting in a way that's pleasing to God or, or not pleasing to God, as we're going to see from today's text. You know, Palm Sunday we celebrate today. And Palm Sunday is all about response again. And we have a group of people that as Jesus comes into Jerusalem are laying down the, the palm branches and are, are paving a way for Him in cloth and material and shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! And they are responding to the coming King. And five days later, the chants are very different. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And the response is very different. Now, now, a lot of different people in those two groups, but a lot of crossover with those that were already in Jerusalem. And the response changed how they accepted Jesus. They changed how they responded to His, his teaching, to His Word. So today we, we come to, to Paul. He's been talking about ministry in chapter 2 to the church at Thessalonica. And he talked about his motivation for ministry and that... His primary motivation was to please God. Not to flatter, not to win friends and influence people, but to please God. That was his primary motivation. And then we did the last couple of weeks on on just what good ministry looks like, what godly ministry looks like for Paul, for us, as we follow his example, how we can minister to each other as the body of Christ. And today we we get sort of the, the conclusion of this section on ministry And Paul talks about what kind of response he appreciates out of the church. What kind of response made a difference to him as he taught God's Word, as he shared his life with them, as he poured out himself to to them? What response was he thankful for? What response pleased him? And as we look at it, we can look at then as an example of what. how can we respond to God's Word? How can we respond to the teaching of God's Word? What pleases God? And we, we all are, we all understand this. Every one of us has a desire to please our mom and dad, right? We have a desire to please our parents. And, and that's the root of all kinds of issues. If there's been a, a fractured relationship, it's something that I see adults pursuing well into adulthood. Still this desire to make mom and dad proud and wishing they had that off affirmation oftentimes from mom and dad or th- thankful that they had that affirmation. And, and so we have this desire to please the people that are over us. But I, I talk to parents too and I talk, what, what pleases you? A few years ago I did a survey of our moms and dad, uh, dads and say, okay, what would you desire most out of your kids? And number one for both moms and dads was that they walk with God. Was that they love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And, and so we come to this text today where Paul, as a spiritual dad, is saying, this is what pleases me. And we see what they did and how they responded and how powerful that response was to their life. The other thing that I want want us to see as we go through this is, remember, Paul was only there maybe four to six weeks. He wasn't there long. And now we're six to nine months later. They have not known Jesus for very long. They haven't been a church for very long, but yet somehow as we go through First and Second Thessalonians, they grew like weeds 
in a good way. They just grew and they were solid with Christ by this point. Nine months in and they're solid with Jesus. How does that happen? How can we grow like that, right? And and we're going to see that again, I think, in today. What Paul is thankful for is the very same thing that allowed them to grow and mature in Christ faster than normal. And it was their responsiveness to God, their responsiveness to his teaching. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. This is where I usually say, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover one under a chair around you. If you don't have a Bible, go to your room and get it. Um, it, It's there. It's in your house somewhere. Or open your app. But let's have God's Word in front of us. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. I'm going to read the whole text and then we'll dive in verse by verse. So this is Paul giving thanks to thanks for this church again. He already has in chapter 1, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Boy, it ends with a, a, a jolt. Wrath has come upon them at last. But we got to see how he gets there and why he gets there because this is a moment where he is so thankful for how the church responded, especially in the persecution and suffering in the times they were living in, they grew like crazy. And so we see what that is. And if you look even right from the very first phrase, and we also thank God constantly for this, we get, we get a picture here of just how much this means to Paul. Because the word for constantly is, is this ongoing, we always are giving thanks to you. This is a, an, an emphatic word that say this is never far from our mind. This is huge for us. We are thanking God because you took God's word seriously. And we see his heart. His heart for those that he has discipled, those that he has led to Christ, is for them to just embrace God's word, respond to it in a powerful way, internalize it, to be diving into God's word. You know, I can speak for all of the pastors and elders here. That's our heart for you. We want you to be diving into God's word, to receive it into your lives, not just on Sunday, but our prayer for you is that every day you're in God's word, that every day you are being fed and and that God's word is speaking to you and that you are formed and, and shaped by God's word. There would be nothing more that would make us happy than to know our church is doing that, to know God's church is doing that. When we get emails and and texts and people are saying, well, I was reading this and this spoke to me this way, or you guys post on Facebook, well, God's word spoke to me this way. Those warm my heart like nothing else because I share Paul's heart there. I give God thanks when you do that continually for that. So we we, we dive in and say, what was Paul thankful for? And, And what can we learn from this example? The first thing, and these are all under what I would categorize actually two points. How do we respond well to God's truth? 
I think Paul gives us two points and then he gives us a promise at the end that's resulting out of that. But how do we respond well to God's truth? The first thing he mentions, they welcomed God's word seriously into their lives. They welcomed God's word seriously into their lives. This is out of verse 13. Let me read that again. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And there's two parts to this welcoming God's word into their lives. The first part there in the first few phrases is that they accepted the word of God as the actual words of God. They accepted the word of God as the actual words of God. And this is important to understand how they were receiving it. Okay? If, if it's just the words of Joe the rabbi, or if it's just the words of some guy on the street, you receive it as Joe the rabbi's words or the, guy, the words of the guy on the street. But no, Paul is saying you received God's word differently as if it was the very words of God. Catch a couple words there. That when you receive the words of God, and the first word there is just to hear it, to bring it in, and to, to, to begin to process it. But then look where he goes. Which you heard from us, you accepted it. Some translations say welcomed it. And that's how the word I chose to use in the point there. Because that word for accepted is, is a much deeper word than hearing. It's a much deeper word than receiving it. It has this idea of taking it into your own life. Taking it into yourself to welcome it. To accept it as true. Now, think about, we, we understand the word welcome, right? We know when someone is welcoming and we know when someone isn't. Welcoming means you bring them into your life. You, you genuinely want to get to know them. You genuinely want that relationship with them. That's how we welcome people correctly. I mean, the other aspect is, hi, see you later, stay six feet away. Well, right now you can do that. But, but sometimes we welcome in word only. And it's not a true bringing someone into our circles. It's not a true welcoming. And sometimes we can say we're welcoming and we've gone through the motions. We haven't welcomed at all with people. The same is true of God's word. And, and Paul here is saying, you not only heard it, you not only sat and listened to the teaching, you accepted it as true, you brought it into your life, and, and you held it tightly. And that is so different. We see that Paul says you accept it as not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Now, now, that there, there's all kinds of theological undertones here. <clears throat> One is that it appears that Paul and some of the other guys knew that some of the things they were writing were Scripture. They knew that some of these things were being inspired by the Holy Spirit in the very words of God. And, and so this is a wonderful statement to the... To, to knowing that Scripture is God-breathed, that it's from Him, that He is the one that put those words down. But, but think of it this way. As, as we already mentioned... If we accept the teaching of God's word, if we accept the Bible as God's very word, we accept it differently. And, and I think a, a good way to explain it, and especially to the kids that are, that are here for you to understand it, kids though, that are watching, I can list all your names. Duh, um, what would you do if Jesus himself walked in your house right now and said, I'd like you to clean your room? Is that different than if your brother says it? Yeah. If Jesus himself walked in, if God himself 
walked in and said, this is what's important to do. This is what I want you to know. We, the lights would go on. We'd be like, oh, yes, I have to follow what Jesus said. This, this is God. I, I have to do this. It gives weight to the words. Well, guess what, village? Guess what? All of you, young and old, he did. He gave us his very words. And we treat this book so lightly sometimes. But Paul is thankful because they didn't treat it lightly. They took it seriously. They took it as the very words of God. And so that, that gave it a, an importance that casual conversation doesn't have. It allows them to go deeper, to look for ways to internalize it. If these are God's very words, and they are, then man, I need to read it and find out how to put this into practice in my life. I need to find out what God wants for me because there is no other document, no other book that is the very words of God. And Paul said, I'm so thankful because that's how you're treating it. And that's, I believe, why they grew so fast is because of their commitment to God's word. Their commitment to studying it, to understanding it, to understanding this is the very word of God. Now, I think about this because here I am teaching God's word. And I am not saying, catch what I'm not saying. I am not saying that every word I say this morning is God's very word. That's heresy. But what I am saying is when we read God's word and understand what this says, this is the very words of God. And I know when we teach, sometimes we make mistakes. We do our best to get it right. We do our best to interpret Scripture correctly. But sometimes we make mistakes. And part of this is I think Paul is saying, I'm thankful you got past the teacher and you got past anything others would say and you got to what was the very words of God. There's a burden on us as teachers as well, I think, out of this to make sure that we are accurate. To the best of our ability, to make sure we've studied to make sure we are, we are treating God's word as the very words of God. It's not just for you responding. It's for us as we teach it, as we respond to it, to say this is serious enough to know this is God's very word. I can remember a time in seminary, and I've, I've told the, the guys at church this. I, I was in preaching class, and one of the guys preached a, a sermon, and he got done and there was just silence in the room and the professor said, you didn't even study, did you? And he says, no, I, I was busy. And he lit into him like I have never seen before. He said, this is God's word. You were too busy? You were too busy to study? You're teaching God's word? <laughs> and the teacher was red in the face and he said, just everyone leave. Come back in a half hour. Because he, he was so angry that someone had, had treated God's word lightly. Do we accept this book as the actual words of God? Do we treat it so seriously that we know it's the words of God? Or, or do we just let it go? Read it casually. Checkbox, I read my chapter today. I did my rooted reading today. See, there's... There's different ways of accepting God's word. There's different ways of receiving it. We see this in the parable of the sower, right? And Jesus is saying some seed just goes on the hard soil. And those are the people that take God's word and say, ah, I don't even, it's a book of myths. It's a, I, I hate it. And then there's those where the, the soil is shallow and, and, 
and the roots start to go and you see some excitement, but then it's, it's so shallow, it, it, it fades. And that's because they haven't really accepted it in their lives. It's the superficial thing where I can post some coffee cup verses and look all spiritual, but I haven't dedicated myself to God's word. You have the seed sown among the thorns where there's, it, it, this isn't the priority. There's so many other priorities in life and pressures in life. Village, if we can't make the Bible a, a priority right now, when we're stuck at home and have nowhere to go, we never will. Make God's word a priority. But then in that parable, there's the, the, the God's word that falls on the good soil, the rich soil, the fertile soil, and it creates a crop that is abundant beyond compare. That's what I think is happening in Thessalonica in this church. They, they were good soil. They were ready to respond to God's word and they responded to it as God's word and boom, they were growing like crazy. And the depth of their growth was huge. And so we see the first part of, of this, of welcoming God's word is to accept God's word as the actual words of God. The second part, the last phrase there is to allow the word of God to work in our lives powerfully to change us. And do you catch that last phrase? They, they, they accept it as God's word, but then the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Which is at work in you believers. And, and Paul is saying, you've let it change you. You've let it work in you, sanctify you. Again, we can respond to God's word with head knowledge. Oh yeah, I learned about this. I know about the church at Thessalonica. I know how Paul was there. I think Pastor Ron's wrong on the timing. But, but hey, we can interact on God's word on this academic, superficial level and still be going to hell. And, and still have it not change us. But when we welcome it into our hearts in a way that says, God, change me. Change me as I study your word. Change me as I read it. Change me as I listen to sermons, as I listen to devotions. And then we're opening up our hearts to be changed for the Holy Spirit to move and to work. And so this is the side of the response that says, I'm willing to obey it. I'm willing to have it infiltrate the very deepest parts of my life to change what I do in secret, to change my heart. And, and we also see again the doctrine that the Word of God is powerful here to change us. It's powerful to make a difference. And, and we know that from some passages, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we'll put on the screen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It works. It's doing something for teaching, for reproof when we've, when we've gone the wrong way, for correction to get us back on the right way, and training in righteousness to keep us on the path for God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, God's Word is powerful. And the Holy Spirit works through His Word to change us. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active. Not a dead book of fables. Not a wish list. Not some contrived religion. The Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that, that's work. When it can go down to the heart, when it can know our thoughts, when it can start to form us from the inside out that way, this is a powerful book. Why? Because it's the very words of God who created all things. We're guided by it. We're instructed by it. We're renewed by it. We're energized by it. If we give it some time. 
if we welcome it seriously into our lives. So this is what pleased Paul. This is what pleased God about this church. They welcomed it. It was the power of God to change them. Isaiah 55, 11, I, I think hearing these scriptures is helpful. So shall my word be that goes for, out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Into 13, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so those that are allowing it, those that are trusting God, those that are following God. As we said at the beginning, the attitude of the student directly impacts the effectiveness of the material. The attitude of the Christian directly impacts whether or not God's Word does anything in your life. If you're at a point where you're like, I haven't seen God work in my life. I don't know what He's teaching me. I read God's Word and it's stale and it's dry. One of the places I'd go back to is what's our attitude? What's our approach? Are we begging God to show us his truth in his word and are we willing to hear it? So how do we put this into practice? I, I think the first is we've got to make God's word a priority. We've got to make sure we're in it every day. And, and, and it can be a chapter, it can be five chapters. If you're reading through the Bible in a month then it's 20 or 30 chapters, I don't know. But be in God's word. We have the rooted reading where we go through a little bit slower that you can chew on it a little bit. Um, sometimes there's sections like like First Thessalonians, we're going through a little slower because every three verses is just loaded and dense with teaching. And sometimes it may be just a couple verses, but make time for God's Word. Be in it. Do we value this? Okay, if we're welcoming this seriously in our lives, do we value this more than anything else? Do I value it more than my time? Will I stay up late to read it? Do I value it more than money? Will I not work 20 extra hours of overtime this week so I have some time to be in God's Word? Do I value it over, over sleep and friends? We've got to make this a priority. Read it. Mull it over. Maybe take a verse a day and, and write it somewhere and just read that verse over and over all day. I found that as I, as I chew on verses like that, as I meditate on it, like Joshua 1.8 says, that there's just all kinds of things throughout the day that come to me like, oh, I can apply it this way or I can apply it this way. One of the things that's been sort of fun about the Rooted Online, which we're, we're reading through First Peter together and as pastors, we rotate who does it. And I think um, Pastor Andrew put one up yesterday and Pastor AJ will do the next one. But we're only taking two or three verses at a time because the videos can only be so long. And that has been a blessing for me. Because I'll take my two verses and I'm already reading mine for my next one and I'll just read them over and over and over. And the first time I read them, I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's God's word. Can't wait to teach about that. After about 20 times of reading it over a couple days, I'm like, wow, there are things there I never saw and got in the Holy Spirit's revealing things in my life that I'm not putting into practice. There's something about meditating on God's word, chewing on it, that helps us receive it well into our lives and welcome it into our lives. Why was Paul thankful? They responded well to God's truth by welcoming God's word seriously into their lives. We get to the next three verses and the second thing that they were doing well 
And the second thing that Paul was thankful for, point number two in your notes is, they wouldn't back down from their faith even in suffering. They wouldn't back down in their faith even in suffering. They were firm. They were firm in their belief. They were firm in their trust in God. Quite frankly, more than normal for new believers. This is the one that for new believers were like, I don't know, they, they might walk away when things get hard. The whole thorns out of, out of Jesus' parable. But not the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. They were firm in trusting God because, I think, of point number one, because they welcomed God's Word seriously into their lives, it built a foundation. So listen to this. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did for the Jews. I want to stop there for a minute because this whole idea of imitators comes back up. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God. Now, in this case, he's referring to the churches in Judea that were being persecuted, that were in trouble. I mean, they, they had people that, that were, were making life difficult for Christians, that were um, expelling Christians from different businesses, different associations. Christians were starting to be persecuted in physical ways. And Paul says, yeah, you're imitating them. Good job. And so the thing to remember here, it's not that they set out to imitate those churches. They weren't saying, how can we be persecuted today? What can I do? You know, sometimes people are annoying and you think that's what they're doing. And they're like, oh, how can I be annoying? No, 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 no. They, they aren't trying to be persecuted here. But what Paul is saying is you ended up inadvertently imitating the persecution because of your faith in God. Because of your commitment to God, the very same things that led to the persecution of other churches are already leading to your persecution because you are maturing in the faith and walking in God with God. And so they're suffering in the same ways. They didn't set out to imitate other churches, but the results of standing for Jesus were the same. The same circumstances that led to persecution were there. This is a huge Huge compliment to this church. I can see why Paul is thankful for them. Because he's like, you're living in a way to stand firm for God even in the middle of persecution. And you're a baby church. It doesn't say that here, but we know that from, from history. This young church is standing up for God in amazing ways. And there's a pattern here. There's a pattern here that should not surprise us. In this fallen Genesis 3 world, when we stand up for God... People don't like it. We will be persecuted. We will be marked. We'll mocked. We will be scorned for that. When we stand up for God, it stands in opposition to everything the secular world stands for. And it shines a light on what they're doing. And so this is not surprising. Shouldn't be surprising for the churches back in Israel. It shouldn't be surprising for them in Asia Minor. When we stand for God, people that don't follow God won't like it. We know this to be true. We will experience opposition and persecution. Here's my call of the day to follow Christ. You will be persecuted. So follow Christ. It's not going to be easy. So follow Christ. Now, this is probably not what a salesman should do for selling Jesus to people. But we're not selling Jesus. We're, we're, we're explaining truth. 
We need Jesus because we are part of this fallen world and we have sinned in this fallen world. And because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath, which we're going to see coming. And we deserve the penalty for that sin. But Jesus Christ on the cross took our place and bared that sin and the punishment for that sin for us. We're going to see that this week as we think through Passion Week and as we think through Easter. Jesus bore that sin for us. That's the truth. That's the call to follow Jesus is because following this world doesn't lead to anywhere. It leads to wrath. It leads to destruction. But follow Jesus. And yes, you may be persecuted here, but the end inheritance is huge as we're with Christ in perfect communion. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all, desire, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we know God wins. We're going to see that in verse 16. And so Paul here is saying, For you, brothers, became imitators. What is he thankful for? He's thankful for this way that God's work, word is working in them. He's thankful that they were suffering persecution, not for the persecution's sake, but that they were different enough to be persecuted. That they were firm enough to still walk with God. He's also reminding them they're not alone in this persecution, right? Because he's reminding them other churches are experiencing it too. Other churches are being persecuted. You're not alone. And that is huge. That's actually huge for us right now is as we, we go on through, through the quarantine, it gets harder and harder. We can fight depression. We can fight feelings of loneliness. No, we're all in this together. And that's sort of what Paul's saying here. Other churches are in this too. So take heart. Take heart. I think also it's a, it's a reminder to not spend all of our time trying to avoid persecution. We can become people pleasers and say, you know what, I'm just going to say something I know people won't respond negatively to. Now, again, I'm not saying you go out and try to offend people, but don't shy from the truth of the gospel. It's okay to say, I love Jesus. And it's, it's great to say, I want you to love Jesus too, because the, the path you're on leads to hell and leads to destruction because you're not right with God. It's okay to stand up for Christian values. It's okay to stand up for the truths of God's word and they won't be liked. And we're seeing this in the news right now. And this last week, we saw several leaders in New York come out against Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse, who has set up a field hospital, has set up thousands of beds that have set up volunteers that are saving lives there. They're not, they're not even proselytizing. They're not sharing God's word there. They are there just to save lives. Doesn't matter what, what you come from, what, what, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're of a different persuasion or not in lifestyle, they're like, let's save lives. It's what Jesus would have them do. And I applaud them for that. And people are criticizing them because they're saying, how can we, we have an anti-gay organization here? How can we allow this to happen? Well, because they're saving lives and no other organizations are doing it. It's, it's, it's our Christian faith that makes us love others. It's our Christian faith that makes us step out and risk to save others. But there is such a hatred for the truth of God's word that people are willing to risk lives to oppose it. That's what we're facing sometimes. 
but we please God by standing up for truth, by standing for him, by walking in a way that is pleasing for him. Paul's thankful because they wouldn't back down from their faith even in suffering. They wouldn't. And he goes on to talk about how the other churches are suffering in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, those in in Thessalonica, those around them, probably both Gentiles and Jews there, but those that hated God. We know the Jews had already ran Paul out of here and out of Berea and some of the other areas. But he says, you're experiencing it here just like those back in Judea are experiencing it from their countrymen, from the Jews. And then he goes on, and, and, and you see a little bit of an aside here of why he's so frustrated sometimes with, with the Jewish people who, who had every opportunity to follow the Messiah and those that opposed he's upset with. He says in verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And so he's saying the Messiah came to his chosen people first and, and they rejected him. They rejected him. They incited the riots to have him killed. Yes, the Romans put him on the cross, but, but it was the Jewish leaders of the time that were pushing that. And so he says they, they killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And we see throughout God's word this idea that the Old Testament prophets were not received well. That was not a job that you really wanted because it was a job of loneliness. It was a job of persecution, of being killed. Uh, everyone was upset at you all the time. And then he says, and, and these people, the, the Jewish people drove us out. And he's not talking about all Jewish people. He's speaking directly to those leaders that are doing these acts. And he's frustrated at bad leadership, of leadership that isn't following God. And in fact, he says, and displease God and walk in a way not pleasing to God. And that had to just break God's heart to see his people turn their back on him. They displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And there's the nugget. If you know Paul, if you know his writing, whenever anyone gets in the way of the gospel, he's ticked off. Because the gospel is, is his priority. And so he's like, these people even stop me from sharing the gospel with people. They stop me from sharing the news that would help save people. And he's not being anti-Semitic here, and we need to be clear at that. He's, he's calling out his own people. He was a Jew. He's calling out his own spiritual leaders for their failures and, and their denying Christ and opposing Christ, and rightfully so. And he would call you and I out as Gentiles for the same thing if we're opposing people to hear the gospel. Because his heart is for people to know Christ. And so they live in a way that isn't pleasing to God because they're not responding to God's work. They aren't responding to His Word. So how do we do in suffering? How do we do when someone mocks us for being a believer? When someone calls you old-fashioned? People are going to call you bigots. People are going to call you all kinds of things. Will you stand strong with God or shy away? And I'm not saying you have to get in their face and shove them down and pin them to the wall. But where's your faith at? Will you still keep doing what God wants you to do? 
loving Him, loving people, sharing the gospel. So the gospel doesn't make sense to this world. It's backwards, isn't it? The God of the universe gave His Son to die for us who didn't deserve it. Makes no sense until we experience the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. And so Paul's thankful not only that this church responded well to God's word, welcomed it into their hearts as God's very word, but then that they were growing to a point where they wouldn't back down from their faith, even in suffering, even in persecution. You know, even in something like this with the virus and and what we're seeing happen, it can be easy to ask the question, and people are asking the question, where's God in this? And, and we could lose our faith in other ways if we go down that path of, of starting to, to blame God for this or where's God in this. And, and we miss the whole point of what Paul is saying here, that this is a fallen world. And because of, of our actions in this fallen world, there's all kinds of crud here. Genesis 3 world has never been the same. It is not like God intended it to be. And Jesus is redeeming creation back to himself. When we get mad at God for things like this, we're mad at the wrong person. We're, we're mad at the, at the wrong source because God is saying, come back to me. I'm restoring it. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And this world just keeps running and opposing God and causing the problem. Paul goes on at the end of, of verse 16 to give a promise. And the promise that he gives to this people who are in persecution and probably asking, okay, where is God? Why isn't he making this right? Why is he allowing people to oppose us? The promise is that sin will be dealt with rightly and fully by God. They could trust God that sin will be dealt with rightly and fully by God. Evil doesn't win the day. It only appears to win the day when you look at a little tiny portion of history. If we saw history as God sees it and we see him redeeming creation back to himself and he will judge evil for what it is, we know that God is righteous. And sin will be dealt with rightly and fully by God. The end of verse 16 there. He's just described what these people that are opposing God have done and and this whole list of, of wanting Jesus crucified and and not listening to prophets and killing them, driving Paul out and and others that are sharing the gospel, displeasing God, opposing the gospel, this list. And so he says this at the end of 16, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. And the idea is that... the. They they just keep adding to their sin and adding to their sin and God is patient and God is patient, but at some point the cup is full and judgment comes. And if you think about it, when we say, why hasn't God judged sin now? Why isn't he taking care of it now? It's only because of his patience. It's only because he wants more people to come to him and praise God he's patient. Praise God we didn't experience the wrath we deserved before we accepted Christ. And so he is being patient. This isn't about God not doing anything. It's about God trying to do, show his love and grace to as many people as possible. But Paul says, no, they'll, they'll fill up the measure of their sins. They're going to get to a point where it's enough. And all will be made right. 
the wrath has come upon them at last. And there's all kinds of debate because the wording there looks like the wrath has already come, right? The wording there is the wrath has come upon them at last. And, and there, the debate here is, okay, is that a past thing? He's actually using a tense that could be past. It could be present. And the, what it really looks like here is that he's using a, a typical literary device that they used to present something that's coming, but present it as if it's already happened. And that gives a surety of it. When I say the Dodgers will win the World Series or have won the World Series in 2020, hey, they haven't lost yet. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can say that as a fact that hasn't happened yet because I'm trying to say this will happen. This for sure will happen. Now, I'm not God, so know that we don't know that it'll happen. We don't even know if they're going to play baseball again. But... Um, that appears to be the tone here is the wrath has come upon them at last. This will happen. Don't worry about it. it. It's something that will happen in the future, but will occur for certain. Some have said, well, and possibly it's because it's already started. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we already have victory over sin. And that started it sort of like the kingdom. If, if, we, if you remember our discussion of kingdom... And that will come to fruition at the end of time. The word at last actually means the end of time. The wrath of God will come. God will only be patient for so long. Now, now there's, a, there's a couple of different ways to think of that. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, I beg you to come to Jesus. Because His grace and His covering on the cross for us, His blood that was shed is how we avoid the wrath that is coming because he paid for it already. He endured the wrath of God on the cross so we don't have to. But if we don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus and you're watching, the wrath of God will come on sin. He will deal with sin and he will deal with it rightly and fully. And if we know ourselves, God dealing with our sin rightly is not something to look forward to. Because every one of us has enough crud in our lives that we deserve a whole lot more than what we're getting in the negative sense. And so, on one hand, this should drive us to Jesus because the wrath of God will come and and we will pay for our sins. The other side of this and what it was for, I think, this church is a promise that God will make things right in the end. God wins in the end. And we've talked about that a number of times God knows what's happening. Nothing surprises him. God wins in the end. And there's a comfort to that. Not a a happiness that people are going to get their due, but there's a comfort to know that justice wins. If, If I can use another baseball metaphor, there are all kinds of people that are angry at the Houston Astros, right? And some of you don't know baseball. Basically, the, the, a couple of World Series and, the, and leading up to that, they cheated. And it's been proven that they cheated. And so they, they stole that from other people. And the penalty for that has been almost non-existent. You get a little bit of my commentary here. Um, and so people are upset because the crime was this big and the punishment was this big. And it's not right. It's not fair. You know, I, I see this with my kids. and My kids are always like, well, they did this. Never about themselves. But they did this, and you only punished them this much. And they don't see that it was this much. We have a sense of justice in us. 
And that sense of justice comes from the character of God. We just warp it to our own little sinful desires and selfish desires. But in this case, God is saying, no, the wrath will come. Sin will be dealt with. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to. And so there's a promise here that as they're following God, as they're being persecuted, they can trust God in any situation. They can trust that God will know how to uphold them. And so this promise actually helps them stand firm for God because Paul knows the persecution isn't over. It's not done. These four verses are just four quick verses. But they show us Paul's heart for the people and by example how we can respond well to God. How we can respond well to the work of God. And, And he just gave two things. He said, Take God's word seriously as the very word of God. Welcome it into your hearts. And so this week, let's do that. Let's make sure we're giving time for God's word. And the other thing he said is don't back down from your faith. Don't back. He was thankful that they didn't back down. It's okay to put a Christian sticker on your your car or at your work cubicle. Just be careful how you drive. (laughs) Are we a good witness? But are we proclaiming that we're believers? Not in an offensive way, but in a way that it's such a part of our lives that we can't help but people know that we're believers. Don't back down. Those are two lessons we learned from this church. They're doing a great job responding to God in a powerful way. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, Lord, I am challenged by this church. Uh, A group of baby believers that often take your word more seriously than we do, than I do. Lord, help me to see how important your word is, how precious it is as the very words of God, Lord. And then, Lord, help us to find ways to stand for you in this fallen world, to stand for truth, to not be ashamed of our testimony, to be bold for you. Lord, I I know there's kids watching right now and they do so much better at boldness than we do as adults sometimes because they just don't care what people think. They're like, I love Jesus. What about you? Help us to do that, God. Help us to be desperate for a world to know you and to hear the gospel and not create any hindrances for that gospel with our actions, with with our testimony, with what we say. Lord, help us to be focused on your word and standing strong for you. Lord, I pray for village as we are separated right now. And it's hard. I pray that you would fight the discouragement that can set in as we we see the same rooms every day. And Lord, wish we could get out and see see others and wish we, we can get out and do other things. But Lord, help us to use this time to be disciplined to follow you. Lord, help us to be praying for each other as a church, lifting each other up. If there are any needs right now, I know some have been laid off already. I pray that you would provide jobs or that you would provide income during this time to get them through until the job can come back. Lord, I pray that for any physical needs, that you would help people to be able to find the care that they need. Lord, help us to rise up and meet each other's needs. This is such an opportunity for the church, God. Help us to find more and more ways to be the church every day, every week. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation. 
May we live like it is the most important thing to us. In your precious name, amen.